go. Now we're three weeks into a, uh, a, a series called Dream Church and we're looking at the church in the city of Antioch which of all the churches that are mentioned in the New Testament it seems that this church in this particular city called Antioch uh, provides us with the best uh, blueprint um, that, of what a healthy, vibrant, dynamic uh, Christian community looks like. And as, um, as uh, Alf alluded to in his communion message, uh, last week we looked at kind of the, the primary distinctive of this church was it was a place of welcome and inclusion for everyone. The church in Antioch was the first church to reach out to those who were non-Jews and to welcome in the other. It's important to understand that um, the New Testament uh, wasn't written in a vacuum. There, there is a backdrop, there's a story, there's, there, there is something cultural taking place which informed the various writers of the New Testament. And we call this backdrop, we call it context. When we understand the way things were for whom the Bible was uh, written to, or written by, or, or, or written about, it actually enables us to better interpret the Bible for our own context. That is, what the Bible might mean for us today in our time and place. And so to appreciate um, the gospel uh, or the relevance of Jesus and the gospel for those living in, living in or on the Mornington Peninsula in 2017, um, it's really helpful to ask the question, what was the relevance of Jesus and the gospel for those living in Antioch in the first century? So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a brief look at what the world was like for a, a first century person living in Antioch. We're going to go, jump into a time capsule, we're going to become Doctor Who's, we're going to jump into the TARDIS and we're going to go back in time uh, to uh, first century Antioch to find out um, why Jesus and the gospel made sense and was so attractive to them. All right, so on here we have a map of, um, of uh, the Mediterranean area. We can see Italy up here. And this is, this is Antioch, the city of Antioch. It's uh, in what is uh, now modern-day Turkey. You can see it's on the, on, the, on the Mediterranean coast there. And because of its um, strategic location, um, Antioch became a significant um, trade uh, route between east and west. It was the link between kind of this part of Europe and the Middle East and, um, and, and, and beyond. And people came and gathered from all over the world to make Antioch their home. It was a prosperous, uh, multicultural city with a population um, um, 2,000 years ago of half a million. Now, that was gigantic. And um, uh, Antioch was only surpassed in terms of influence uh, by two, two other cities, Rome and Alexandria that, that, that was in, uh, in Egypt. Now prior, and this is a lovely picture here, prior to the emergence of Christianity, um, the primary religion of Antioch was the worship of, of, of Astoroth. This is Astoroth here. And Astroth was a demonic uh, male figure associated with indecency and immorality. 
And this particular um, deity that was, was worshipped in Antioch um, seduced people um, through laziness, vanity, and rationalism. You can tell a lot about people by what they worship. In fact, there's a biblical principle. Whatever we worship, we become like. And so I guess uh, the characteristics of the city of Antioch were um, rationalism, um, immorality, and vanity. However, the most important um, thing to understand about life for those living in first century Antioch is the profound influence of the Roman Empire and Caesar. At that time, about a quarter of, um, of the world's population lived under uh, Roman rule. Here we've got a map and this, um, I'm colorblind, so can somebody tell me what color that is? Brown, okay. Uh, that brown there um, indicates the influence of Rome in the first century. Everyone that lived in that brown zone was under the rulership of, of the Roman Empire. And people conquered by Rome were, were subject to Roman law and they were forced to pay taxes to help build Rome and sustain the empire. Does anybody know what the motto of Rome was? Very, very important little statement. It was Pax Romana. Pax Romana. And that means simply the peace of Rome. This is what's really interesting about this little phrase, Pax Romana, is Pax Romana was also called the gospel. It was the good news. That's what Pax Romana was within the culture of the day. Pax Romana was the good news of Rome. And the message of Rome to those places which they conquered was, was simple. If you pay your taxes, behave yourselves, and honor Caesar, the good news is we won't wipe you out. We will allow you to keep your national identity, you can keep your customs, and you can even keep your religion. And guess what? You'll also get to experience the peace and the prosperity that belonging to the empire brings. This was the gospel. That's what it was called. Pax Romana, the good news. The people were told by Rome that if they worshipped Caesar and embraced this gospel, if they embraced Pax Romana, they would experience um, three things. Peace, fruitfulness, and the forgiveness of sins. That was the gospel, according to Rome. Peace, fruitfulness, and the forgiveness of sins. And it was called um, the imperial cult. It was the political and religious um, system that governed all of those living under the influence of the empire. It sounded good, but the reality was uh, Pax Romana really only flowed upwards to those who sat at the top of the rigid class system which dominated um, the ancient, uh, ancient world. It was only the elite who benefited from Pax Romana. Remember last week we talked about 
um, the hierarchical system that was in place and how the church in Antioch turned that upside down. But Caesar and those um, um, from the elite class, they were the beneficiaries of Pax Romana. The vast majority, about 80% of the population who were called, remember, the plebs, uh, the plebeians, the plebs and, and those who were slaves, 80% of the population, they were just ex existed to fuel the empire, to keep the empire going. So Pax Romana, for the vast majority of people, uh, actually meant nothing. Now, everywhere you went um, throughout the empire, you'd find a temple as a place of worship um, for Caesar. There were shrines and images of him um, erected all over uh, the place. Every town and every city center would have a statue or a shrine to remind you that Caesar was God, that Caesar was divine. Vases and coins and jewellery all bore the image of Caesar. There were feasts and festivals that were held throughout the year um, uh, to celebrate the emperor and his reign. You were surrounded. You could not go anywhere throughout the empire without being reminded that Caesar was divine, that Caesar was God. Now, this is what I find really fascinating, that the common titles that were given to Caesar were, were these. Caesar was known as the divine one. He was known as creator. He was known as the image of the invisible God. Caesar was called the son of God. He was called redeemer. He was called savior of the world, lord of lords, king of kings, and God made manifest. Does it sound familiar? Sound familiar? Understand perhaps now why the early Christians were given a hard time? Before any of these terms were ever ascribed to Jesus, they first belonged to the emperor. And the message of the Gospel of Rome was through the worship and the reign of Caesar, peace and salvation would come to the world. And if you happen to dare defy um, this message, then you would feel the weight of Rome bear down upon you. To proclaim a Lord other than Caesar was classed as high treason and would lead to imprisonment and, quite probably, crucifixion. The threat of crucifixion was what kept the empire in check. And so the allegiance to the empire was based on fear rather than on love. This was the way it was in Antioch. This is the context in which... A small group of men turned up into this city and began to proclaim this message. In Acts 11 verse 20 it says, Men went to Antioch and began telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
for the very first time, these people began to hear a message of an alternative Lord, of an alternative gospel to that of Caesar and of Rome. There was another Lord, these Christians proclaimed, who promised to bring peace, salvation and forgiveness of sins to the world. His name was Jesus. And he wasn't a, a, a figure who sat aloof in some, some palace somewhere. But he was a Palestinian peasant who Christians claimed was actually the true divine one, the creator, the image of the invisible God, the son of God, redeemer, saviour of the world, lord of lords, king of kings, and God made manifest. And these Christians that came into the city of, of Antioch with this message began to say, you know what? If you happen to rebel against this Jesus, you rebel against his rule, he's not like Caesar. He won't crucify you. Instead, he was crucified for you. Rather than an instrument of, of brutality and fear and of subjugation, the cross of Jesus became a symbol of mercy and of love and of forgiveness. And it is the place we discover where God in Christ brokered Pax Christus, the peace of Christ. In Ephesians 2.14, it tells us, For Christ himself has brought peace to us in his own body on the cross. In Romans 5.1, it says, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Despite the hardship of their lives, those in Antioch could not only um, know peace with God, but they were also invited to experience the peace of God. Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, in John 14, 27 said, My peace I leave with you, my own peace I now give to you. The peace of Rome, which was offered to those who sat at the top of the, of the triangle, was actually in Christ being made available to all of humanity. At last, there was an alternative to Pax Romana. The good news of Jesus, which outlined how we can have peace with God and experience the peace of God. Jesus also came and he offered a vision of a society that was radically different to the one that was championed by Rome. Rather than a world that was characterized by a, a triangle with Caesar and, and those that were part of the elite sitting on the top. Jesus had come to establish a new society, a community called the church that were characterized by a circle of love and of equality. To those living in Antioch, a Lord like Jesus the Christian version of the gospel, and a community that, where things were fair and equitable 
made perfect sense. And it tapped into something within them that was highly attractive. Saying yes to Jesus, however, meant saying no to Caesar and to the empire. It was deeply subversive. It was costly and it was dangerous. It might even cost you your very life. And yet, what happened in Antioch was a phenomenon. It was miraculous. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people embraced the message. That was their context. The big question for us is, what is the relevance then of Jesus and his gospel for us today? Well, firstly, the desire and the need for peace continues to be one of the core needs. My goodness me, sounds like we're going to kind of get drenched here. Peace remains one of the core needs of humanity. Do you know what? A people living on the peninsula today struggle with anxiety just as the same as the people in ancient Antioch. And the words of Augustine still remain true. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is uh, restless until it finds its, its rest in thee. The gospel and the person of Jesus is relevant today because through Christ, and through his message, people can experience the peace with God and the peace of God. But secondly, um, Caesar is a metaphor for selfishness and the abuse of power. The problem with the world today, unless you live in somewhere like um, North Korea under the rule of that tyrant um, Kim Jong-un, um, we don't have Caesars. There is a Caesar, mind you, trying to rise up in another country and somewhere else. The spirit of Caesar always tries to rise up. But we kind of can spot Caesars these days. We won't go there. You tell them I, I love politics, okay? Um, the problem today is not Caesar Augustus or Caesar Tiberius, or the Emperor um, Nero, or um, Caligula, or, or Claudius. This is what Caesar looks like today. <laughs> and we could substitute my photograph for your photograph. You see, we, li we live today not in a, in a society that is controlled by a singular emperor or a singular Caesar, we live in a society today where every one of us wants to be Caesar. Every one of us wants to be Lord. You see, in its most basic um, form, we self-justify as to why, um, you know, we shouldn't have to wash the dishes or take out the rubbish or why we should be first in the queue or why we have a right to speed and kind of abuse other drivers on the road. That's in a microcosm. That's how little Caesars act. That's how little, this little Caesar acts anyway. 
Um, you know what? Because, you know, my needs and what I have have to do is more important than anyone else. Caesar Steve is Lord and everything should revolve around me. Just recently I was chatting to, uh, to a young person and, um, and I said to this uh, young, young guy, you know, your problem and my problem is this. Um, can you remove that thud? I'm looking at myself there, it's really distracting. Um, I said to this young guy, you know, your problem and my problem is exactly the same, is we're both selfish. We both want to be lords of our own life and, 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 and have the world revolve around us. And what I've learned is that Christianity for me is discovering to dethrone myself as Lord, as Caesar, and become others-centred. And the wonderful thing about the gospel of Christ and the example of Jesus and his humility and his inclusion and welcome of others is that the call of the Christian faith is a call to put others before ourselves. It's not about me. It's about, it's about we. The reason that the church in Antioch was, was so dynamic is it was founded on the person and the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That was the message they heard. That was the message that they responded to. And everything else, placing Christ at the center, changed everything. Just a quick question for you to think about um, over coffee or lunch today. What are some of the other things in our world today that give us the false promise of peace and prosperity? Let's pray. Loving God, we just want to thank you that, uh, Jesus, you are creator, you are redeemer. You are the Son of God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the image of the invisible God. We thank you for the peace that you've brought into our world, into our lives. Peace with God and the peace of God in our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to carry your message into this world, we pray.